From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, maximizing MIGs at the ASCRS annual meeting. Say, for example, they're on two or three meds, and they have, they're controlled on two or three meds, and they really would prefer to be off as many meds as possible. Trabecular micro bypass in that context is not going to get them off three meds, um, whereas this, this may, and we've, we've seen that. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the ASCRS annual meeting in New Orleans. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we'll hear from Constance Okeke on maximizing trabecular microbypass stent results and from Steve Sarkissian on 360-degree goniotomy. I'm here with Connie Okeke. Connie, you, you gave a wonderful, wonderful talk, particularly helpful to, to me as I've been doing trabecular meshwork bypass stents for a little while now, but I mean, I, I, I could, I, I can already tell I'm going to benefit from some of the pearls that you mentioned. Let's take things from the perspective of people like me who are, have been doing the trabecular meshwork bypass stents, um, but could use some of your advice. What What are some of the things that I might be doing that might help me? And you specifically mentioned targeting. What does targeting mean? So the whole concept about targeting uh, is about the idea of using the eye stent in a place where you're going to get more bang for your eye stent. Um, the looking at aqueous veins, there's been a lot of um, talk about this with Ike Ahmed, targeting aqueous veins that are like highway outflow channels. Um, they have low resistance, um, but they have high outflow. And if you can find these channels, um, these uh, collector channels, you can actually target the eye stent at that place and get more efficacious uh, pressure lowering. So how do I do that? How do I, first of all, at at the slit lamp or at the at the microscope, really, determine where I think that these vessels are? And then once I'm ab interno, how can I find landmarks? What are some of the things that I'm going to be looking for? So typically what I do is that before I begin the eye stent surgery, I'll look at the, um, the uh, episcleral vessels, and I'll look for the most prominent ones. Um, these are the areas that you want to target. I take a marking pen, and I highlight them. Um, when you go into the uh, gonioscopic view with, uh, my, uh, with the gonio lens, what you'll find, it very well correlates with areas either of either increased pigment or areas of increased um, heme um, uh, with blood reflux. And so I've done these time and time again, and it's very effective in being able to know exactly what landmark to go to. Now, one of the, the other things that you mentioned is titrating the response that you get 
by choosing the number of ice tents that you that you put in. Now, from a logistical standpoint, that's not always an option, but can I have you talk about what you found? Yeah, we uh, we know that uh, there were a number of our key um, uh, glaucoma leaders who went to um, Armenia and did some surgical techniques of putting eye stent, not just one, but two and three, not just in patients that had cataract surgery, but also in just standalone. And what was found is that two and three eye stents work much better than one um, in getting the pressure down to target as well as being able to get off medication significantly. And so there is uh, a lot of hope with the idea when these come to market that more stents will equal better pressure lowering, which will allow us to widen a range of who we can put it in. Also, there were some studies with the next generation eye stent inject um, that when two are used and comparing this in um, uh, a, a prospective trial, we're looking at at a group that had just two medications of lantanoprost and timolol, um, it was found that there was a, a very comparable reduction, but actually a favoritism towards even more reduction with the eye stent inject group. So we have a lot of evidence now that is showing that two stents or more work better than one, and this will allow us to have more range of who we can use it in for our patients. What does the, the G2, the, the second generation, look like? And is the insertion technique similar to the version that we're currently using? Um, it looks, it's a tiny titanium stent, and it looks um, a little bit different, more so like a mushroom as opposed to the snorkel with the commercial device we have now. There is a little bit easier placement. Um, there's more of just a, um, a, a direct pressure and, and placement of the eye stent as opposed to having to hook it into Schlem's canal and trying to find that. So uh, essentially, it should be an easier placement. I, from what I've seen from the from the from the videos, it looks uh, it looks cool. It looks like you know something that I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. to trying out. Um, are there any particular surgical pearls or technique pearls uh, that you um may want to give us? Yeah, I think that the whole concept, the, there's three surgical pearls that I outline in my talk. One, I, I think that uh, targeting the eye, uh, the targeting the eye stent with these high outflow channels is very effective. Two, uh, looking at um, uh, doing the eye stent first. Now, I, uh, it's been taught typically when you start doing the eye stent to do the eye stent after cataract Which surgery. is what I've been doing, yeah. But what I found is that when you do eye stent first, you have a much clearer view and more control of of your anterior chamber. Now, I do know that some uh, doctors do this eye stent first approach, but one technique or one small change that's really um, almost the most important aspect is to not use a 2-2 millimeter blade or 2-4 or whatever is used for cataract surgery, but to actually use a 1.5 millimeter uh, um, or the 15 degree blade, which has a 1.5 millimeter width and its uh, widest, uh, widest width. And basically by using that, what we're able to see is that there is less egress of heme. Uh, there is, I'm sorry, less egress of the viscoelastic inside the eye, so the pressure, the chamber can stay well pressurized. Also, with more pressure in the inner chamber, you have less heme when you're trying to put the eye stent in, especially if you're trying several attempts. The uh, inner chamber can get bloody. Um, so, by using the eye stent first uh, with that small millimeter incision, uh, 50, uh, 1.5 millimeter incision, you're able to get much more control of your anterior chamber and more control over the procedure. Do you widen the wound then for the cataract surgery or do you just use that as a as a separate wound a kind of a big paracentesis no i just widen the wound i find the area the plane of where i made the initial incision and i just widen it with my tutu or whatever uh, blade i'm using for cataract surgery well this is this is valuable stuff i know it's valuable for me personally i'm sure it's valuable for a lot of the viewers too i want to thank you very much for for bringing this to us for being so very generous with your time with us today all right thank you so much 
I'm here with Steve Sarkisian. Steve, I, I, you gave a, a wonderful, wonderful talk. I have uh, started doing MIGs within the last year or so. Um, I actually really, really like it. Um, I'm not doing trabeculotomy yet, and that's exactly what you spoke about. I have to tell you, it looks really, really cool. But let me ask you first to describe the procedure and then what some of the advantages are of this procedure over um, trabecular bypass implants. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I think that we really need to be taking advantage of of all of our opportunities to uh, lower patient's eye pressure. And um, the key with MIGS is that it's ab interno. And conventionally, we think of trabeculotomy as an ab external procedure. And in fact, the title of my talk was 360 goniotomy because, uh, well, mostly because we wanted to not use trade names. But the trade name for the device I talked about was TRAB360. Uh, and it's a device made by a company, uh, Site Sciences. Uh, and it's a device that has a roller on the top of it and has a, uh, a, a probe made of a, a type of plastic, a flexible plastic, that <clears throat> goes into the canal. And what it actually does is it does an abnormal trabeculotomy 180 degrees at a time. And, uh, a lot, and it was designed for this purpose. It was not designed as a uh, first as an ab externo and then has been modified. And really what it's doing is the same thing as, as uh, what, what GATT does, which is an acronym G-A-T-T, Gonioscopic Assisted Transluminal Trabeculotomy. And that's a technique that uses either a suture, a proline suture, or, uh, or the iTrack microcatheter that, that Alex makes. And uh, Devinder Grover and uh, my, other, my friends in Texas at the uh, Glaucoma Association of Texas have published that technique. Interestingly, what I present is that our data Data is about the same because we're really doing the same thing. We're doing a 360-degree trabeculotomy, uh, and there's Japanese literature that shows almost identical numbers as ours using a suture uh, to unroof the 360 degrees of the canal. Incidentally, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the the data that uh, the the Japanese data also demonstrates that if you don't do a, if you can't complete 360 degrees, if you can only do like partial trabeculotomy the pressure is actually uh, several points higher and the medicine dependence is higher if you can't get 360. So there are other techniques out there to do trabeculotomy where you're not doing 360, but you're just uh, removing part of it. And uh, uh, the, the long-term effect, uh, the data seems to demonstrate that partial trabeculotomy does not work as well as 360-degree trabeculotomy. Steve, um, before we, we, we get to the technique, let me ask you this. How does the IOP reduction compare to things like a trabecular bypass stent? And um, one of the things about which I typically don't worry with bypass stent is that I'm going to have a patient with too much of a reduction that I'm going to worry about uh, hypotony uh, postoperatively. Is that going to be a concern of mine as I move to goniotomy. Excellent point. I still actually I still do a lot of trabecular micro bypass, um, uh, particularly in my premium IOL patients, because I, it, it it's uh, the, the main risk of any trabeculotomy procedure is going to be hyphema. 
Now, the hyphema is transient, is almost always gone by week one. There really is not a risk of hypotony unless for some reason uh, you do the procedure incorrectly and you or the patient moves suddenly, uh, which is really the case with any uh, ab internal procedure and you cause in, an inadvertent cycle dialysis cleft. Uh, but that would be a complication, not a, not a uh, uh, expected possibility with normally performed surgery with this uh, procedure. But you really can't get lower than episcleral venous pressure if all you're removing is the trabecular meshwork. Um, so the, the, the risk of hypotony is no longer a significant risk. And the pressure lowering with this procedure is actually significantly lower than you would expect with uh, trabecular microbypass. Um, again, trabecular mi microbypass is an excellent procedure which I, I, I use, uh, but in patients that have uh, a higher need to be off pressure, or perhaps even patients who are already pseudophagic, or patients who are phagic, in which you prefer not to do an off-label type procedure um, where you'd, re you'd rather do a surgery that is going to be uh, uh, readily reimbursed um, and um, where you're not going to have to be anxious about that aspect of things. Um, uh, this is this is a preferred procedure in that context. Steve, is the the skill set similar to what I'm used to with uh, with trabecular bypass stents? Well, it certainly is. You need to be familiar with gonioscopic surgery. You need to be familiar with how to use a gonio prism. Uh, in fact, the setup is identical for trabecular microbypass as it is for the TRAB360 procedure, um, being able to tilt the patient's head, being able to tilt the microscope, not putting too much pressure on the eye with, with your gonio prism, <clears throat> not making a, an incision too far peripherally where blood will get under the between an interface between the gonio prism and the cornea. All these important tips. That, that, that people have adopted with any MIGS procedure that uses a gonio prism in their non-dominant hand are required for this as well. There's a roller on the handpiece I'm holding that is advancing the, the uh, uh, catheter 180 degrees. Uh, you can see that it, there's a metallic guide that guides it. And uh, once it's, the clicking stops, you can do this push-pull motion and it unroofs the canal. Now, invariably, you could see that there's a little bit of bleeding there that happens uh, at, once you uh, remove the, uh, uh, the first half of the otomy. You just retract that uh, back into place and then uh, place a little bit more viscoelastic into the anterior chamber to vi get some visibility. And then just basically flip the, uh, the guide to the, in the other direction to do the other half of the 180 degrees. Incidentally, this video, I have it on YouTube if, if uh, people wanted to see it in its entirely, entirety, um, just on YouTube, actually. But here, <clears throat> I'm engaging the other half. Note that, uh, uh, you know, just like any other gonioscopic procedure, if you push too hard on the cornea, you'll get some stria here. You can see some stria forming. Uh, and then what I do for the sake of the video is I pan out and I reorient things so that people can get a more complete view of the goniotomy. Is the probe sharp at the end? I mean, it is. Yeah. It is. And sometimes I find I need to do about a clock hour of a trabeculotomy. And it's a careful motion where, like I said, a push-pull. Because if you just pull straight out, you'll, it'll just come out the way it came and you won't actually do the otomy. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so that, that's, a, that's, that's a trick. And, and all I do then after that is, is uh, I take a, a basically BSS on a, on a cannula and I flush that viscoelastic out. So there's no need for a FACO setup with uh, irrigation aspiration. Um, in, in fact, 
you know, so that that would actually be an unnecessary expense. Um, one incision. Um, I usually use my 1.8 millimeter diamond knife to make a clear cornea incision, and uh, you don't have to be terribly compulsive. If there's a little viscoelastic left in the eye, it's not going to be a, a, too much of a problem because you just unroofed the entire canal. Um, in fact, some would argue leaving a little a little in would be a reasonable thing to do. I, I typically don't do that, but it it might be thoughtful. Uh, if you're really worried about hyphema wanting to tamponade it, um, and and you know that's basically the procedure. Steve, one one, one last question: Since you do both this and trabecular bypass stents in the context of specifically of cataract surgery, how do you choose which one to do? Well, in the context of cataract surgery, it really is. It really depends on how much pressure lowering I I want. It also depends on if I'm doing a premium lens. If I'm doing a premium lens, I want to maximize my wow factor for those patients after surgery and with having their vision. I want them to be 2015 day one, hopefully, you know. And and that's something that if there if there is a little bit of hyphema, you know, you have to kind of talk them through. Sure. And so I'd prefer in those patients uh, with the premium lenses to do trabecular micro bypass. Um, in my standard patients, where I'm hoping to have a little lower pressure. Um, say, for example, they're on two or three meds, and they have, they're controlled on two or three meds, and they really would prefer to be off as many meds as possible. Trabecular micro-bypass in that context is not going to get them off three meds, um, whereas this, this may, and we've, we've seen that. Steve, this is really, really great stuff. I'm really happy that you've, you've, you've brought this to us, uh, and I'm very grateful for your generosity with your time with us today. Thanks, Josh. Constance Okeke comes to us from the Virginia Eye Consultants in Norfolk, Virginia. Stephen Sarkissian is clinical professor at the Dean McGee Eye Institute in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Ask questions of Dr. Okeke, Dr. Sarkissian, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.